So we're in this series called All in the Family. And it's all about building healthy families. And the scriptures give this invitation to the church, to other influential adults like grandparents and aunts and uncles and other adults that have relationship with the parents and say, how can we work with you to build healthy families. And of course, the parents have the primary responsibility and calling, but we've all been given this charge to work with them to build those healthy families. And so we're on number four of five messages in this series, and today we're talking about spreading their wings. And the focus is on teenagers as they're becoming young adults. And we all know that that there's significant change going on in the life of adolescence. There's physical changes, there's intellectual changes, especially as young teenagers, they're able to think increasingly in the abstract. There's social changes. Uh, some adolescents, not all of them, but some of them are sort of prone towards trading their parents in for their peers. And so they're saying, mom and dad, I'm putting you on waivers because now Eddie, is in my life, and I'm replacing your combined uh, 80 plus years of life experience with the wisdom of 16 year old Eddie. And they're spiritual changers. Teenagers are saying, Am I going to subscribe to? Am I going to buy into the faith of my parents? Am I going to dive deep with Jesus like they have? And personally, I'm quite optimistic because I think we have some very impressive young people. But I also understand that at this time of life, sometimes it can be messy. And we've been saying all through this series, children or teenagers or whatever are watching us very closely. And they're looking to see, are these adults modeling the life of Jesus? Do they have a vibrant faith with him? One that I would want to emulate. Now, I've had the privilege of spending hundreds, probably thousands of hours interacting with teenagers. Many of them was with troubled teenagers when I worked um, for social services when I was in grad school. And of course, Debbie and I had the privilege of raising our own two kids who are grown adults now. And I understand it's very different interacting with teenagers when it's a job versus interacting with your own children. So I have some significant experience, but I still have lots of questions, and I certainly don't have all the answers. And so we want to look to the Word of God together. And so if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, the same passage we read last week. It's equally applicable. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Let me read that passage to you together. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. And so children and teenagers, if it's not going well with you, you need to ask yourself, have I been obeying? And have I gone further than that and actually honored my parents? And also that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then it switches to parents and it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction 
of the Lord. Last week we said there was a lot of similarities between the culture then and now. Uh, in the first century there was high divorce rates, there was lots of extramarital affairs, and of course the resultant shattered families. But also in Rome they had something called, a law called the Patria Postestis, which is literally, it literally means the father's power. And so dad had absolute power over the kids. He could sell those kids into slavery if he wanted to. And so if you're a 16-year-old watching this today and listening to this today, how would you like that if dad was to say to you, that's it, you have broken curfew for the last time. I'm putting you up for auction to the highest bidder. Young person, you're invited to obey and to honor your parents in the Lord that it may go well with you. But to the parents, Paul is also saying, listen, you have some legal rights, especially in that setting. But to exceed them and to do those kinds of things are not the Christian way. It's not the way of Christ. To dominate them, to exasperate them, to poke at them, to irritate them to the place of them being inappropriately angry or mad. You are also called not to leave that child, that teenager, to develop on his or her own. Mom and dad, Paul is saying, you are a key in their life. And I understand he's saying that as they become adults, they make their own choices. But you cannot abandon them to their own devices. There will be chaos in their life and in your life if you just abandon them to figure it out on their own. So instead, Paul says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And just like last week with children, today we're gonna say, what are some of the key things? If you have these key things in place, many other good things follow suit. So what are some of God's plans as we think about teenagers? I would suggest as a parent, First of all, we need to move from a highly directive style to more of a coaching style as they head into the teenage years. Obviously, when children are small, you've got to be very directive. You've got to make basically every decision for them. But as they begin to grow, the goal is to gradually be giving them more and more freedom to make decisions, to learn how to make good decisions. And in a sense, as they become teenagers, you become more like a coach. Now, coaches still make some hard calls, they still make the big calls, and they typically make the final calls, but they also train their players and release them to play. During the teenage years, this kind of coaching-like approach begins to accelerate, and the goal at the end of the day, as they enter into adulthood, is that you'll have the kind of relationship with them which is sort of eye to eye, adult to young adult, one that has mutual respect, mutual honor, mutual trust. This is the plan of God. Even when you don't agree necessarily, there'll be mutual trust and mutual respect. You know, it's funny because the other day, Debbie and I were chatting about a time, uh, just not that long ago, a few years ago, when our daughter Erin came home one time for a visit, our adult daughter. And Debbie and I, well, during the course of her visit, Debbie and I were going out one night for a social event, and as we were just about to leave, she said to us, if you're going to be out past 12, be sure you call. And we all had a really good laugh together, because it's just kind of cool to have that kind of relationship with your adult child. 
So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see an example in the life of Jesus of how to begin building this. Luke chapter 2, Luke is the third book in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus remained behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him, and after three days they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions." That's how they debated back then in particular. Everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, Jesus asked. Don't, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So when it was time to leave, Mary and Joseph are busy packing up the camel or the donkey or the car. And they're busy with all Jesus' siblings. He had younger brothers and sisters. And they just assume that he's off with some of their relatives or some of their friends. They'd all travel down to Jerusalem together. And eventually, later in the day, maybe at dinner time or at bedtime, they notice Jesus is gone and they begin to search frantically for him. And if you've ever lost your kid, you know what they were going through. So it's amber alert time and they roar back to Jerusalem and they eventually find him in the temple, engaged in a spiritual sparring match with some of the religious leaders of that day. And you need to understand, these were the most intelligent people in that culture. The many of them would have had genius level IQs, and they were amazed at the questions and answers that Jesus was giving. Well, if you look in verse 48, you see there's some tension there when mom and dad arrive. And Jesus says to his parents, listen, I wasn't being rebellious, and I have been, and I will be, we read later in the text, I have been, and we will, I will be obedient to you. But mom and dad, you need to understand, I need to be about the very reason that I came to this earth. My life, my purpose, my mission is going to be more and more about my heavenly father's business. And it says in verse 52, Jesus, in doing this, grew in favor with God and man. And so there's some healthy separation going on here in the family. The charting of a more adult approach to life. And even though mom and dad didn't totally understand it, they pondered this stuff and they realized we have to let him spread his wings. We have to let him do the things that he's been called to do by God. So let's just translate this into some practical questions as we consider our relationship with our teenagers. What are we really trying to do with our children slash teenagers? What are we hoping they'll become one day? 
Are we hoping they'll just become an extension of ourselves, clones with our last names? Are we looking at them and saying, I remember my failures in life, and now I'm going to try to live out my dreams through them? Or do we really want them to become autonomous, healthy, comfortable in their own skin, God-honoring young adults, grown-ups who know who they are, are comfortable with who they are, and have a, a personal, vibrant faith with God. And we would long to make those kind of choices for them, but of course we can't. But what we can do as parents or influential adults in their life is we can help set the table for making those kinds of choices. So how do I move from that highly directive style when they're littler children to now as a teenager, when they're teenagers, to become more of a coach to help these kinds of things happen? Secondly, I need to spend time strategically. You know, I think when kids hit junior and senior high, it can kind of be like they disappear a little bit. And there's like three phases going on. And phase one is they're out with their friends. And phase two is they're furiously texting with their friends, setting up the next time they're going to be with their friends. And thirdly, phase three is they're at home recuperating from being out with their friends, and the house is sort of a refueling or rest stop. And I know it looks a little bit different right now in COVID, but often this is the pattern. And of course, it's important to learn how to relate to people, but in the midst of all of that, time with mom and dad, can get really thin. And sometimes that's really the choices of the teenager, but sometimes and very often, in fact, it's our own choices as parents. Deuteronomy chapter six, which we launched this series with, talks about creating an everyday faith, about when you lie down, when you walk, when you have supper together, you're talking about the things of Jesus. And I believe parents have to take the lead in figuring out ways with their teenagers and settings in which they can have significant conversations, where they can just have fun together, where they can create memories together, and they need to be deliberately done. This takes planning, this takes creativity, this takes making choices. I remember years ago, Alvin Duick, one of the elders, one of the leaders in our church, teaching me about this. My kids were heading into the teenage years, and his kids were a little older, and they'd already kind of were in the heart or just ending the teenage years. And he said to me, Alvin and Janet said, they would look at the calendar, and they would make plans for strategic engagement with their kids and they cleared their schedule or rearranged their schedule so they could have time and plan for time with their teenage children. And this would sometimes mean maybe for them or for any of us, choosing things that your adolescent would enjoy, but you may not necessarily enjoy it. But because they matter to you, you do this thing. It will mean making some sacrifices. And I said earlier in this series, and I'm going to say it again, I'm talking about choices about how we spend our time and our finances and our career choices and our work schedule and how we're going to be willing to, if necessary, downsize or modify any or all of those things so that I can be with my teenager. And so will that be me doing that or your spouse doing that or both of you doing that? so that you have time to invest in that teenager. 
Let me tell you about some of the families in our church that have done this. I know of a family in our church that made tennis a sport that glued their family together. They would go and have fun together and they'd laugh together and they'd be outside together and they would talk together. I know of another family that chose camping to spend time with their kids. Another family that, that did lots of driving tips, another trips, and another family that did fishing together, another family that hovers around music together, another family that's working in the yard together. I know a family that Uh, had come from Saskatchewan, and when they were in Saskatchewan, they would take the time and money every year to drive to BC for a skiing adventure with their kids because they wanted to invest in their children, their teenagers' life. What kind of experiences, if I'm patient and deliberate and creative, will lead to those critical conversations, will lead to just having fun together and doing life together. They don't have to cost a lot of money, but they don't just happen. We must make those strategic investments. Thirdly, we choose our battlegrounds carefully. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Parents, whatever you do, don't exaggerate, don't provoke your children to wrath. So if you are treating your 15-year-old child, teenager, just like what they were when they were 8 years old, if you're treating them in the exact same way, you're parenting with a bit of a straitjacket. You're not letting them spread their wings. They have to be allowed to flex their decision-making muscles. That's how they learn to make mature and God-honoring choices. And when we do that, we have to know at times there's going to be some broken glass that comes. On the other side of the equation, um, we can be a guy like Eli. And you can read his story in 1 Samuel chapters 2 through 4. And as you read that story, you see Eli was a very godly man. He did a lot of things right, but he had two high-spirited sons, and he failed to restrain and discipline them. And it appears that he tried to rein them in later in life, but at that point, they'd already gotten involved in all kinds of sin that scarred them for life. And he had neglected when they were younger to appropriately admonish them and discipline them. And it might have been because he was too busy doing work, spiritual work, or maybe parenting just got too hard for him and he bailed. And many times our human tendency is to either be too high control or let the pendulum swing the other way and sort of bail. And God says it does have to be more in the middle and he wants to help us decide what are we going to go to the mat for and what are we going to decide these are the areas where I can be a lot more flexible. So let me suggest some areas. And I understand that you need to prayerfully consider these things and ask God for wisdom and talk with your spouse if you're married about how to do these things and what are the specifics of these things and and what are we going to choose to be very clear about and more flexible about. So many people will come to the conclusion that that things like hairstyle and and fashion and, and how a the teenager keeps their bedroom and things like that, that there can be a lot of flexibility in those areas. But when it comes to these four areas, they're going to say, I'm going to be a lot less prone to being really flexible and really loose on these things. And those four areas would be in matters of safety, in matters of character development, 
in matters of relationship and in matters of faith. We cannot give up in those key areas. We cannot be too uh, loose and too flexible in those key areas. We have to hang in in those areas no matter how hard it gets. And we have to courageously set boundaries and enforce those things courageously. And again, there's no easy formulas here. So we ask ourselves, have I, have I pray, prayed through these things carefully? Have I considered consequences? And then do I carry through on them? It takes courage to do that. And in my experience, a firm consequence often cuts off more serious trouble later. And in my life, when I didn't bite the bullet and follow through like I should have, I regretted it later. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in just sitting down with your teenager and saying, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what are healthy boundaries and healthy limits. This is all part of helping them to learn to make wise choices. Let them be involved in the process. And then talk to them about what the consequences might be if they go outside those boundaries and outside those limits. And what I think you might often find is that teenagers will be a lot harder on themselves than you intend to be. So what are some of the things that you go to the mat for? Again, four areas, safety, character development, relationships like dating and who they're spending all their time with. In fact, a few years ago, one of the primary reasons Debbie and I moved from one of the locations we lived at here in Lethbridge, not the only reason, but one of the primary reasons, is because there was a couple of kids in that neighborhood that were hanging out all the time with one of, our, one of our teenagers, one of our kids. And we were really concerned about the influencing these two were having on this one of our children. And so this was one of the reasons we actually moved to another house. The fourth area, and I want to comment more about this, is the area of faith. Faith is one of the areas where we have to be very firm and make the decision, I am not going to allow my teenager to make choices that chokes off or seriously impedes spiritual input into their lives. I can't force them to do this stuff. I can't make the choices for them. But I'm not going to allow those healthy spiritual influences to be choked off or seriously impeded coming into their life. And I see parents that do this all the time. So for example, teenagers often, and rightly so, want to pursue artistic activities. They want to play sports. They want to work in, outside of school and stuff like that. And when I was a teenager, I played lots of competitive sports. I started working when I was 12 years old. And those things teach you some really good things. And I was encouraged when I was a teenager to pursue those things. And we encouraged our daughter Erin and our son Sean to do those things as well. But it was always with the understanding that two things didn't suffer. If I pursued artistic things or sports or an outside job outside of school, two things didn't suffer. My education, and more important than my education, was healthy spiritual input into my life. So in other words, if I had or my kids had the time or the margin in life to do our best and to do a proper job of school, and then even more importantly than that, if I did things like youth group or a small group and going to church, spiritual inputs, healthy ones, had to be in place in my life. 
And really the question to ask yourself, parent, right now is, what are the most important things in life? When your child, when your teenager looks back on their life one day, what will have been the most formative and important things in their life? As they look at back on their life and as they look to eternity, what are the most important things? Are those things in place? And if those two things, uh, pursuing my education uh, to the best of my abilities and spiritual input, if they can't be taken care of or if they're being infringed on inappropriately, the job has to change. I do less of the sports or I do a different one. I pursue different artistic things or I pursue them in a different way because we want to keep the most important things most important. That's where you as a parent really need to step up. So ask yourself with your team, together with your team, what is most important? What is most important? Something that amazes me, and I'll see this sometimes, I'll see parents who will use something like, you can't go to youth group at the church. Now, I know we can't do that right now in COVID, but they'll say, you can't go to or participate in the youth group activity as a consequence for some other thing you did wrong. I don't understand that thinking. Why would you withhold something from your teenager that has a positive, uplifting experience that points them to God? Use something else as a consequence. Cut back on their television watching, on their internet, on their Facebook, on their Instagram, on their TikTok. Take their cell phone away for a while. Tell them no texting for a week. Uh, Cut back on their sports, on their shopping, on their job. There's lots of other consequences you can go to. I understand there's no easy answers with this stuff. But what are the things that are most important And God, help me to know where to be firm and where I can be flexible. Fourthly, just affirm signs of maturity. Anytime you see them making the smallest signs of wisdom and maturity in those four areas of safety, of character development, of making great relational choices and faith, applaud those things. Affirmation has tremendous influence and power in the life of an adolescent. So I know this dad quite well who was watching sports one day and his son walked into the room and this was something they enjoyed doing together and um, they cheered for the same team and everything and the game was on and the boy walked in and he noticed that the son wasn't really watching the game at all and this was very unusual. And so the dad muted the TV and he said, what's wrong? And the son really wouldn't respond at first, but eventually at halftime, he said, well, I've had this huge relational breakdown with my friend. And you know, the temptation for us as parents often at that point is to step in and fix it for them. But instead, this dad with, I believe, the wisdom of God said, so what are you going to do about it? And the young guy said, well, you know, I know in the Bible... It says in Matthew and it says in Romans that if you have a problem in a relationship, you shouldn't go and talk to everybody else about it. You should go right to the person that you have a deal with and try to make things right, try to bring healing in the relationship and do what you can to be at peace with them. 
And the son said, you know, I know the right thing to do, but it's really hard. And the dad just sat there and said nothing and let the silence build. And after a while, the son said, I'm going to go and make a phone call and see if I can go and talk to my friend. And when he went to leave, the dad said to him, that's a very classy move, son. That takes courage to do what you're doing. And a couple of hours later, the son came home and and told his dad about how it went. And he said, well, I'm going to go to bed. And his dad came and he hugged him. And he said, there are some people who have been Christians 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that have never shown the kind of courage you have shown tonight. The kind of maturity in following the words of Jesus like you did tonight. I'm so proud of you. And instead of going to that person, they'll talk to everyone else or they'll avoid them or they'll go to another church. I'm so proud of you. And when a loving parent puts their stamp of approval on something good like that, it goes a long way. Lastly, pray for your kids. And it's certainly not the last thing. It should be the first thing you do. Pray that they would commit their life to Jesus if they have not done that already. That's something to pray for every day. Pray that their spiritual growth and vitality would just mushroom. Pray that their faith would deepen, that their understanding and experience of God's love would just permeate every part of them. That they would make choices and say, God, help me to make choices that honor you. Help me to go out, Lord Jesus, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Pray that your teenager who has great capacity in this area, would live that kind of life. Pray for their life calling, that they would know the vocation that God has called them to, whatever that is, the vocation he created them to pursue, that they would pursue it with passion and in a way that honors God. Pray that their future life partner, if God intends for them to be married someday, pray that that future life partner would give their life to Christ and follow Christ as well. Pray for your own family that you would love and support one another. Now I understand very clearly that you can do all of these things I've talked about. And some teenagers, once in a while, will just choose to walk in a very opposite direction, in rebellion. Whatever you do, don't give up praying for them. Pray for them every day. Pray that one day they will get down on their knees, and they will repent of their sin, and God will forgive them and make things right. Adolescence is this wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful time of change. It's a time for them to spread their wings. It's a time for them to learn dependence on God, to make choices that honor God. And as parents or as influential adults, we get to help set the table for that. Amen.